Wakakaku. So it's the 27th of February 2022. So now we have this opportunity and this time to train our minds to bring them to a state of peace. And uh, this is what we call, refer to as developing samadhi. And samadhi is this firmness of heart, a mind that is well grounded. And so naturally we have some firmness to our minds, as samadhi. And that's what we use in our work and in our studies. But this firmness of heart, this samadhi that we use to cultivate an understanding of truth following the teachings of the Buddha, that kind of samadhi is still not enough within us. It's still inefficient or insufficient. And if we receive sense impressions every single day and the number of those sense impressions just grows and grows with each passing day, then each passing month, and each passing year, then the samadhi that we have, this firmness of mind, will steadily decrease. Our sati, mindfulness, will lessen. And samadhi eventually just isn't there at all, and so wisdom can't arise. And everything that we experience, we take personally, in terms of me and mine. And the mind just chases after every sensory experience that it gains, going into happiness and sadness, liking and disliking. And as this carries on, then we get more and more stressed. So when people experience a lot of these sense impressions, and they meet them, the mind chases after them, and the mind becomes very unsteady. It gets shaken very easily, very quickly. But if we see the drawbacks in that, then we come back and we ask ourselves, well, why is my mind like this? Why does it get so caught in liking and disliking? Why is it so agitated? And this mind, it belongs to me, right? So why is it so unpeaceful? And then we seek out a path of practice, a means to train our mind. And in the beginning, there can be a lot of confusion about this. We don't know how to practice. We don't know what methods to use, how to bring our minds into a state of peace. But we find out that we do that through using a kamatana object, a meditation method, and something that our hearts can um, find a footing in, find grounding in. So we can use this meditation word of Buddha, for example. On the in-breath, we recite Buddha. On the out-breath, Do. And sometimes when we do that, there'll be the presence of mindfulness there as well. And this mindfulness may be located at a particular point, maybe in our stomach area, at the navel, or perhaps at times it will run about through the body. But as peace gathers within the heart, then this mindfulness settles at a single point. Initially, we may be reciting the word Buddha along with the breath, the in-breath Buddha, the out-breath Do. But as the peace gathers in our hearts, then this word of Buddha can disappear from the mind without our intending for that to happen. And this is 
the course of what happens during our meditation. So the Buddha is the one who knows the awakened one, the joyful one, the one who teaches the people and to practice good deeds through their body, their speech, and their mind. And that's what we call the Buddha-sasana, his teachings. And the Buddha is the one who gives those teachings. And there's the Dhamma, and the Dhamma of the one who knows, which is the truth, and that is Dhamma. And what about Sangha, then? Monks, novices, laymen, laywomen, are they the Sangha? Is it possible for all of them to be Sangha? And it is. Anyone can be Sangha. Those who have practiced following the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha, those who have practiced well, who have practiced correctly through body, speech, and mind, this is the Sangha. So initially we say that there are people, there are humans, there's monks, there's novices, there's laity, but that's all in terms of conventions. But when our mind gains an understanding into truth, it gains knowledge, then no matter who that is, whether that's a monk, a novice, a layman, a laywoman, they gain this knowledge into truth that all physical and mental things are anicca, dukkha, anatta, then no matter who they are, then they experience vimuti, this state of freedom, of liberation. So in our practice, when we know and have an understanding of the principles of the practice, then really it's something that is easy. We sacrifice, we're not selfish. And then through that, we are keeping sila, our precepts, morality. And we're abandoning all harmful acts, or papa, anything which causes harm to ourselves or to another. And this is unwholesome kamma. And the sacrifice that we do, um, there's these acts of giving or keeping the five precepts. This is punya, this is merit. But even though we have both generosity and sila, and still there is this liking and disliking there within the heart. We still experience anger, there's still ill will, even though we keep the precepts. When the mind experiences something through the senses, then it runs after that, perhaps disliking it. And then there can be a lot of confusion and chaos within the mind, a lot of suffering there present. We compete with one another, we make comparisons between this and that, and there's self and conceit that arises. And these are things that we need to be rid of as well. We need to destroy these things, but it's not thought that's able to destroy it, and rather it's the practice, this practice of Dhamma. And so this is something that we do need to develop. We need to train our minds to bring them to stillness. And it's not just when we sit or walk in meditation that we bring up mindfulness, but rather we try to do that whenever we have the time to do it, whenever we have the occasion, whether standing, sitting, walking, lying down. We may eat many times a day, 
So we have mindfulness over that. While we're eating, we don't rush, but we're mindful and cautious. And when we train our mindfulness in a consistent way like this, um, then our practice will develop, it will grow. And we'll be able to watch over these minds, following up on what they're doing. And those who watch over and care for their minds are those who will free themselves from the snare of suffering, the snare of Mara. And so may everyone train in this way. And if we have an understanding of the Dhamma, if we see into the Dhamma, we'll see just how amazing, how incredible that experience is. So therefore, those people who are practicing the Dhamma, those who are engaged in this, are people who have a lot of merit already. And people living in this country, in Thailand, and the Buddhists here, they're very fortunate that this country has been able to maintain Buddhism till this present day. And this is a great boon of the Thai people. Because we know well that each day we get material things and enough to be able to live on for another day, to be able to support these bodies. But we also know that these bodies have to break apart. But when we have these human bodies, we should take them and use them to bring about goodness, to do good deeds. And a very important aspect of that, something that's very significant, is gaining an understanding of the Dhamma. So when we train our mindfulness and samadhi to grow, to be better, and then rapture can fill up the heart. It can be this great sense of inner contentment. And so there's different kinds of rapture, of joy. Um, there's goosebumps that appear on the skin, the hair stands on end, there may be tears flowing, or the body can feel uh, like it expands and grows, or like it feels very light and buoyant. And so there are many different manifestations of this within the body. But when these appear, we shouldn't uh, doubt, we shouldn't get confused about them. We know that we're on the right path. If during the day we're not cautious, we allow our mindfulness to go, we chat about many different things, and then the mind gets very scattered due to that. And when we come to sit in meditation, it's very hard to bring the mind to stillness and peace. So we need to maintain this caution, this restraint, and look after our minds well. And when we do have this caution and restraint, then the amount of peace that we experience each day grows and grows. And we accumulate this peace, we gather it up, until one day there's a great amount of that within the mind. And perhaps if we have enough barami, enough spiritual virtues, then we may gain an understanding, a knowledge into the Dhamma. And this is really incredible when this happens. So for myself, when I practiced, initially I was just practicing, um, just trying my best uh, to follow 
It's the, this path of practice, getting it right sometimes and not some other times. But one day when the mind gathered together, and there was an understanding in two things, that previously I saw them in terms of conventions. And saw that there's a house, that there's a dhamma seat, that there's a monastery, these different material things. And I knew, following in line with the theories of Buddhism, that all of these things are anicca, dukkha, anatta, they're impermanent, suffering, not self, that all of these things arise and cease, that this breath, for example, each in-breath and out-breath, that this breath decays, that life uh, gets less. So I had studied these things, and I had gained a knowledge of them, of this nature of decay. But it wasn't a clear understanding through wisdom. But if we gain that clear understanding through wisdom, then that is what is able to cut off the defilements, to destroy them. And when we gain this, then there isn't any doubt there within the mind. We see that everything in this world, all the things that we gain, all our possessions, they're just temporary and just that. They don't stay for a long time. Whether we have a lot or a little, we just use those to support our lives in this world. And what we gain depends upon our merits, depends upon our barami. But no matter how much or little we have, and eventually we need to be separated from all of that. And so we see how no one is the true owner of any of these things. And when we gain this insight, then there can be a lot of joy and happiness that arises within the heart. And this arises through an understanding of the Dhamma. You gain this great sense of inner contentment, of happiness, and through knowledge and through the Dhamma. And it's really something incredible when we experience it. So those people who have practiced well and correctly following the Dhamma, they are the Sangha. And they can be monastics, they can be laity. But both of these are able to see into the Dhamma. And this insight into the Dhamma, it's not constrained by time. And children can gain this as well. So it's a great merit for us uh, that we have been born as Buddhists or we've had the opportunity to meet with the Buddha's teachings. And within Buddhism, there isn't any forcing, any control to do certain things, but rather it's our duty as Buddhists. We take it as our duty, our responsibility to be generous, to keep the precepts, and to follow the teachings of the Buddha. And we take this as our offering of homage through our practice. And so there also, there's also the offering of homage through uh, material offerings, through flowers and incense. And this is good, it's not that it's not good. And in the beginning, that's what we start off with. We create merit in this way, making these offerings, paying homage like this, 
And this draws us close to the Sangha. And then when we're close to the Sangha, they're able to make suggestions to us, to make recommendations. Or perhaps we are with good friends and we're able to make good suggestions to one another as well. And then through these, the heat, the fire there within our hearts of greed, hatred and delusion, this reduces and reduces. And then steadily there's more happiness that grows in the heart. The heart feels more contented and feels more joyful. So the material things that we gain, the uh, valuable things that we come to take possession of, those things that we like, when we get them, then we feel contentment in that. But does that last for a long time? Well, it's not long. When we gain them, there's happiness. But we shouldn't forget that when those things disappear, when they leave us, then we'll suffer all over again. And then upon gaining them, we feel worried, we feel anxious. Perhaps we have a motorbike, and we're afraid that that will get stolen. Maybe we leave it outside and go to work, and we worry that it will disappear. So people who have a lot of things also have a lot of fear, if they don't have wisdom. Because when they gain those things, then that reduces a certain amount and type of difficulty and suffering in their lives. But they also don't know what's going to happen to them. And if the mind doesn't have knowledge within it, then these things which can give us ease can also be a cause of suffering to arise. And so we need to train our minds in order to gain an understanding. And gaining an understanding of the Dhamma is of incredible value. So all of us now have this opportunity to come and train our minds each day to develop mindfulness so that wisdom can arise. And the methods of bringing the mind to peace are those of samatha or samadhi. And the methods of allowing us to let go of giving rise to wisdom, and this is contemplating all things as being anicca, dukkha, anatta. And when we practice these, then we've practiced well, following the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha. And when we've practiced well, then we are the Sangha. And so what benefit does that give us? Does reaching that state give us? Well, there won't be eight more births. At most, there'll be seven more lives. And if we stay stuck in the cycle of birth and death, and this just goes on and on, then the suffering that we experience just goes on and on as well. So therefore, in this life, we should do our best to reduce the number of becomings and births that we have to take. And we should see the danger of this, the danger in the cycle of samsara. And so may all of you set your hearts on this. <laughs>